Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Today, this morning, as I arrived, I, I, I came a little bit late because I picked Hamid and Corey up from their hotel and uh, uh, brought them to church. So Stacy came early. I came a little bit later. And as I was getting ready to come, Marcus sent me a dreaded e- uh, message on Facebook. And it said, uh, uh, when you get here, we're going to have to deal with the computer. And because he was getting the black screen of death and uh, it wasn't doing anything. And so I had to go. Fortunately, it was an easy fix. Guess what the fix was? Reboot. Right? Reboot. That's the first technical support thing, right? Have you tried restarting your computer? To which some of you respond, how do I turn off my computer, right? I mean, uh, but, you know, we've, we've gone through tech support before. Maybe you've even called. That's usually the first thing they say, and then you try it, and if it doesn't work, you try it again, and hopefully it will work, because if not, then you are in trouble, and you're starting to think, okay, my computer's not working. Most of you are most concerned, not about your uh, private information or your financial records. You're, you're concerned about the photos that you have on your computer. Right? I'm going to lose all my pictures of, all, of my kids. I'm going to lose all these photos of their life growing up. And, and uh, to this, I would say, back up your computer, number one, okay? But also, rebooting... Uh, is not just a method that we use, but this is a method that God used in Genesis. This is what we see God doing. He's rebooting creation in the story of Noah and the flood. And uh, he wouldn't say, he, you know, he never calls it a reboot, but that's uh, that's really what happens. You know, he is God has created man. Man has sinned, and this is where we have been the last couple of weeks. And sin had just just so grown that God. And it decides to do a reboot. And the sin of man against God grieved him and brought about his judgment. And he is righteous in his judgment. But with that judgment also comes grace and comes hope. There was a solution to the curse of sin and of death. So today, as we get into the Word, I want to share with you my first point, and that is that sin grieves God and brings His judgment. Now, we talked a lot about sin last week, and from my understanding, it was the central focus of a lot of growth groups. But if your growth group uh, only talked about sin and missed hope, I hope that this week that you will catch on to the fact that there is hope. Even though we are sinners, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 says this, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. The text says God was grieved. Can you think of another place where God is grieved over sinful humanity? I, I think of I instantly think of Jesus looking over Jerusalem before his death on the cross. And he looks over this beautiful city 
of a people who, of Israel, God's own people. And he, he looks out over this, this city and he weeps. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. God is not some being out there who, who is playing chess with humanity, who has no emotional attachment, who doesn't care about you or me. Our sin grieves him. It grieves him. He has feeling. And, and here he is grieved to his heart over humanity's wickedness. Our sin is primarily, we learned this last week, against God. But not only does it hurt God's heart, it hurts us. And I believe this also breaks God's heart because we trade instant gratification in our sin for long-term gratification in Christ Jesus. And we, always, you know, we are just so, right now, people, becoming more and more every day. Instant gratification, instant satisf- satisfaction, the putting work into something and, and investing in something to reap a reward is, is something that is fading away from our culture entirely. But God wasn't just angry at sin. We need to know that, that God was also pained by it. It hurts him. Sin is not just breaking rules. It's betraying a relationship. When we sin, we betray God and hurt his heart. And he takes sin personally. Sin grieves his heart and brings his judgment. But sin, as we know, is like a disease. I'm reminded of the veggie tale uh, where, 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 you know, because I was a children's pastor for 12 years, you can't get some of these things out of your mind. And uh, what was the one about lying? And they tell the anyway, you know, one of the one of the fruits or vegetables tells a lie, Bob or Larry, and and the lie grows, and the the fib, right? The there's a fib, and this fib just keeps growing and growing and growing, and sin is like that. It just keeps growing and growing and growing, and sin, if left unchecked, would grow exactly like we read about in Noah. Right? There's no checks, there's no nothing, sin is just growing, growing, and exponentially, almost immediately, sin has overtaken all of humanity. Like a disease that has com- consumed it. And so God determines to stop the corruption, and he sends a flood to cleanse the earth. Now, some of us may find cleansing the earth with a flood unbelievable. But let me just bring this a little bit into context, okay? This is not hyperbole, okay? Hyperbole. Yeah, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. This is not an exaggeration. But many times in the Bible, the, all the earth refers to the known world at the time, right? So the flood may have not encompassed the entire earth. It may have only encompassed the known world of the time because we are still yet to get to where the nations are dispersed throughout the world, right? We're still kind of in this central location. But we know that this probably happened around Mount Ararat, right? Which is, I think, in Armenia. Turkey and Turkey. And so this area is, is where this happened, this flood, because we know the ark came to settle on the mountain. And so God sends a flood to cure this cancer of sin. A good friend of ours named Mike Mitchell is struggling with this second bout of cancer. But I know we're not alone in this. You have friends and family who have struggled maybe with one bout of cancer and maybe two, maybe three. And you've seen what chemotherapy does to a person. Right? Because chemotherapy attacks the, the weakest, uh, the most susceptible cells, uh, so your stomach lining and things, and so people lose a lot of weight. And, and, and chemotherapy, I think, almost brings people, it seems like, to the point of death. 
but it eradicates that cancer. Why? Because it's more important to go through all that and live, right? Right? To suffer all that, to lose all your hair, to get, I mean, you can lift them up off the bed with a finger, it seems. You see the effects it has on them. But that, that chemotherapy brings life, right? And so here we are at this point where humanity is just so depraved. God is rebooting, and he is going to deal with this cancer of sin by sending a flood. We might think, why couldn't God just let it go, right? Isn't there a song that recently came out, Let It Go? Let it go, let it go, right? Isn't that, is not that a song from, what's that stupid movie? Frozen. Ew. All right. You know, it's funny, I had this guy who I thought was a pretty tough guy. He's like, oh, Frozen, I loved it. I loved it. And I'm like, okay, I'm not a big animated series guy, but we wa- I, I watched it. And it lived up to my expectations. You can tell what I thought of the movie, right? But that song, it's pretty co- it gets in your head, right? Let it go, let it go, let it go. And we might think, why couldn't God just let it go? Why couldn't a benevolent, loving, caring God just let it go? Well, I think there are three misconceptions about God that lead us to think this, all right? Number one is the, for the, the notion that forgiveness means just letting it go. But if you've ever done something that required you to really ask for forgiveness, right? Like maybe wreck your friend's car, right? You borrowed it and you wrecked it. I remember when I was a, a young airman, I borrowed my friend's very fast car. Uh, just, he said, let's go get, some, would you go get some sandwiches? I'll let you take my car. I'm like, I'll go out, get some subway. And I'm going 110 miles an hour in his car coming back onto the base and I get a ticket. All right. Not from a base cop either from a California highway patrolman in which they don't let you go. And uh, anyway, it was a big deal. And I had to ask him for forgiveness. And that was kind of a small thing. I've had to ask forgiveness for much bigger things. But one thing I know is even though if I ask for forgiveness, even if that person forgives me, that doesn't set everything right, does it? A lot of times there's reparations, there's amends that need to be made, and sometimes there's financial things that need to be made. If I wreck my friend's car and I say, I'm sorry, he may forgive me, but his car still needs to be fixed. There's still a cost that needs to be paid to right that wrong. Second, there's a belief that God would be better off if he were just a God of love, all right? And there are people who worship this God, this figment of really of their imagination. God is love and he is nothing else. That is one character attribute of God. That is one of his essential attributes, but that is not his only one. Today, we're going to talk about another one, and that is he is a God of justice. And let me tell you something, you're glad, you might not think so, but you're glad that God is a God of justice. It doesn't make sense that I should share heaven with Hitler. Amen? It doesn't make sense, right? We can't let evil into the perfect presence of God because then it would cease to be perfect. What is heaven to look forward to if it's exactly like it is here, right? It's nothing. I don't want that, right? The, the, one of the greatest hopes we have is to be in the presence of God for all eternity. God is perfect. And in this, this, when he writes the garden again, when he reverses the effects of sin fi- with, with finality, and this earth is restored to the exact way it was meant to, to be. It's going to be perfect. And so I, am, I appreciate that God is loving and that he is just. We would not be better off. God would not be better off if he were only a God of love. 
third is the idea that God is a God of vengeance, and this will make a vengeful people. Because God, we, we think, oh, well, God is vengeful, and so that enables us to be vengeful. I would, I would argue the opposite is true. See, God tells us in his word that he will repay all wrongs in Romans 12, 19, that vengeance is his, and he will repay all wrongs. And as Christians, we can, we can trust in that. And that's what enables us to turn the other cheek, to give without um, the promise of, of repayment, because we know that God is just, and he will reward uh, faithfulness, and he will make sure justice is done. If you don't believe God exists, and I see this in our culture so strong today, there is such a strong sense of justice today, isn't there? Such a strong sense of, of what is right and wrong by people who sometimes seemingly have no idea of what is right and wrong, because they have, you know, their right and wrong is coming from their feelings and their heart, not from the Word of God. But because they don't believe in God, but believe in justice, they are the final line in the sand. Justice is their responsibility, and so they are vengeful. They are the ones who is vengeful. If there is no God who will take vengeance or repay, rep give justice to those who do evil, then we become the ultimate authority. We become the bearer of justice, and that is a burden that we were never created to handle. Vengeance is his, right? He will repay the evil. But when we take it upon ourselves and take the place of God to be the one who is administering, solely administrating justice, solely the one who is responsible, then we, we do something. We take God completely out of the equation and we become vengeful, hateful, and fearful. And I'm telling you, I see it in our culture every day. Church, do not give in to that. Do not become vengeful. Do not become hateful or feel fearful yourself, right? In response to a godless world who has taken it upon themselves to administrate justice, don't give in to that. We as Christians should still work for justice, but we do not bear the burden for it. God does. It's a weight we could never bear anyway. I, I, I don't know if I could ever sit on a bench and sentence a man to death. I'm grateful that that is not my responsibility, right? I'm grateful that's not my responsibility. That would be a very hard road to hoe. I'm very grateful. But justice will be meted out. God has appointed judges. He has appointed authorities to, to deal with justice. But ultimately, the relationship, I mean, the, the responsibility lies on his shoulders. So number two, Sin brings judgment, but God provides grace. So we dealt with judgment last week. We're seeing it this week. God is judging the world. He's sending a flood, and he's destroying what seemingly seems like an overreaction by God. But let's just push on through the word, and I think we'll see that it was not. Verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is very important. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now skip on down to verse 17. For behold, God said, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. He's talking about humanity. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you and of 
Every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creepy thing on the ground according to its kind. God could have left spiders on the earth. He could have just left them there, just wiped them out, but no, they're on the ark too, everything, right? Much to my wife's dismay. Two of every short sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and food for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. Contrary to popular opinion, God does not operate differently in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament. Noah's life demonstrates that salvation always comes by one path, and that is God's grace through faith. See, here we see that Noah found favor in God's sight. What that means, what that word means, favor, it means to receive grace. God didn't save Noah because he was righteous. Noah became righteous because he received God's gift of grace, because he received his salvation. Grace came first, righteousness followed. Only after responding in faith was Noah declared righteous. That is always the way that people become righteous. We are not righteous before we come to God. We receive his grace and we become righteous. We become clean. So Noah, we see just shortly after all of this is over, Noah gets out of the ark and what's he do? He goes to fest and he gets wasted, right? He gets drunk. He sins. He's not perfect, But he responds in faith. That's why in Hebrews 11, it mentions Noah. When we talk about the great heroes of the faith, Noah is mentioned. Why? Because of all of it, Noah believed God. Right? It had never rained on the earth. I want you to think for a minute. It had never rained on the earth. And Noah receives a word from the Lord that it's going to rain. It's going to rain, man. It's really going to rain. And there's going to be a flood. And I want you to build an ark of gopher wood. What is gopher wood? We have no idea. But most likely, we think it's cypress. Right? And so he's commanded, and the cypress trees, I don't know if you know, but they're not really that great of a tree. They're not very big. They, you know, it probably took a lot of cypress. If you want to see a scale model of the ark, you can see one in the Netherlands, right? Uh, Stacy and I, isn't that where we saw that? Yeah, you can see one. It's, it's huge, right? It's really, really big. And so Noah's out there building this, and he's believing that God is going to stay true to his word. And the whole time, he's being mocked. He's, he's being laughed. Rain? What are you talking about? Rain, you know? Oh, the whole world's going to be destroyed. And looks at church. I'm just going to get off on a little bit here. It's the same today, isn't it? Now, maybe we don't have an ark. Maybe I'm not in my backyard building an ark. But I want I want to tell you, the church today is the ark. Did the ark save Noah, or did God save Noah? God, God saved Noah, right? The ark was the vehicle by which Noah was saved. And today, the church is not saving people. That's God's work. But the church is the vehicle by which people are saved. Amen. And today the church is in operation and the church is working to reach the lost and save as many people, inviting them onto this boat. As many people as will come, there's room for them. Amen. And we invite them. We go out, we invite them in and some of them laugh at us and they mock us and they say, well, God is not a God of judgment. Judgment's not coming. I want to tell you today, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming again. And God will judge the earth in his righteousness and in his judgment. And those who deny the invitation to receive God's grace will be out in the sea drowning. But church, we don't give up on them, 
right? Because today is the day where the church is still being built, right? We are, there is still opportunity to invite people onto the ship, onto the ark. The church is still in the business of seeing souls saved and propagating the gospel and being his ambassadors and saying, come, come on, there is salvation in Christ. There's still, there's a flood coming again, a flood of God's judgment over the earth. And the church has a job to do, and we are to be building the church. And even if people laugh at us and mock us and say, hey, there's no judgment coming, there's no, nothing's going to happen, there is no God, whatever they're saying, it's still our duty and our responsibility to invite as many as will come onto the ark, onto the ship, that they might be saved, right? I want to tell you when that day comes, not one of us is going to be sitting on the ship laughing at those who are drowning. We're not going to say, well, you deserved it. And anyone who does, you, I, I think you underestimate your own depravity. That will be a, you know, I know there won't be a tear shed in heaven. I know this. But I want to tell you, we won't be laughing at those who are perishing. We'll be, maybe like God, we'll be grieved that they're perishing. Righteousness comes through faith. Today it comes by faith in Jesus Christ, our new ark. We are the body of Christ. God's nature is grace. It's to give grace. It's to delight in the unmerited favor to those who are undeserving. That's what Ephesians tells us. And today... It is still God's nature to delight in unmerited favor and giving grace to the humble. His grace towards sinners is found most clearly in the salvation he's provided through Christ. We are undeserving of salvation. There is nothing about us that would deserve salvation, but God through grace gives us salvation in Christ. We deserve death. He gives us life. There is hope. The answer for sin has already been given. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, the sting of death has lost its sting. And we know the rest of the story about Noah. It's not just something we paint up on our nursery walls. I think it's an odd thing, actually, to paint on nursery walls. And when we see a rainbow in the sky, we see an arch that is pointing towards heaven and a reminder of God's promise that he will never again destroy the earth by a flood. But in this time, in, in, in this point in history, the flood comes. And every man, woman, and boy, and girl who rejected God perished. And Noah preached righteousness through his faithful obedience for a hundred years. And there was plenty of opportunity for others to repent. But as people often do, they mistook God's patience for his absence. God was being patient with them, and they thought, he doesn't exist. God offers salvation graciously to all who receive it. This is a doctrine of the church, that salvation is for every single person who responds in faith to the, to, to the gift of God's grace. Right? We don't believe in predestination. Those, some God has picked some from the beginning of time to be saved and some to perish. 
right? That's not the doctrine of this church. That may be your doctrine. That's not the doctrine of this church, right? We believe every single person can respond affirmatively to the invitation of God's grace. Every single person has an opportunity to do that. But God will not override you, right? He will not force himself on you. But he will be patient with you. He will try to wake you up. But don't be lulled into complacency. Don't think to yourself, well, God, God is, you know, things are going okay. Things are all right. I'll change later. Listen, we don't, none of us are guaranteed, guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Live, live faithfully in God's righteousness. And our true hope is in point number three. Sin will not halt God's creative purpose. We read in Genesis 9-1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Who did he say that to first? Adam, right? Verse 12, God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen, the bow, excuse me, is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The world is God's loving creation. And the world itself preaches to us that God exists and that God is good. Even the most dramatic example of judgment in the Old Testament, the flood, we see God reaffirm his plan to bless the earth by filling it with people made in his image to cultivate it in worship of him. This is one of humanity's darkest moments, and God preserved a remnant because the jewel of his creation is and always will be people. If God refused to give up on people at their lowest... Isn't it right of us to also do the same? Today we prayed for the underground church, the persecuted church. And we heard from Hamid and Corey how they are reaching the lowest of the low, right? In most cultures, refugees. The most overlooked, the most neglected people in, in many cultures is refugees. And I believe that this story tells us that we are to reach out to every single one of God's image bearers. Every single person on the earth is of value to God. No one is of less value. God is, in every single possible way, pro-life. This is not a political statement. This is a truth. God is pro-life. Every single life, God is pro. He is for us. He is not against us. If we know him, we will also be pro-life. I would argue that it is impossible to be a Christian and be pro-death or pro-choice, right? God is pro-life. We are followers of Jesus. We are also to be pro-life. We all bear God's image. We are all precious in his sight. The, even the weakest among us, the most defenseless among us, bear his image. And the church should, should assume the same posture as God towards humanity, and that is all life is precious. 
every single human being, whether with Down syndrome or completely healthy, bears God's image. With all ten fingers and all ten toes or with no arms and no legs, bears the image of Christ, bears the image of God, is God's image bearer. Male or female, God's image bearer. Black or white, God's image bearer. There's no place for racism. There's no place for sexism. There's no place for uh, any, any prejudice against any person. We are all made in God's image. We are all precious in his sight. Our prayer should be God Make us a people who says, send us the weakest of our culture. Send us the weakest, the most vulnerable. Give us an opportunity to minister to them, to serve them. As dramatic as the flood was, God knew that its cleansing effect would only be temporary. God's assessment of humanity after the flood sounds exactly like it was, just like his assessment before the flood. He says the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth in Genesis 8.21. So after the reboot, the virus is still in the system. To fully address the problem of sin, God would need a different solution, a better one, a permanent one in Jesus. God was gracious to Noah to extend salvation to his family. Also, God grants salvation by grace to all who come by faith into the family of his righteous son, Jesus. Salvation is in Jesus alone. I think also Hamid and Corey illustrated this. The emptiness of the Islamic faith and the personal relationship with Jesus Christ bringing hope to these people. What does this all mean for us? Where does this, where does this leave us? Well, I would say that if we are resisting God's judgment, if we're resistant to this attribute of God that He is just... I would question whether or not you see yourself as a transgressor of God's law. Do you see yourself deserving and worthy of hell, but saved by God's grace? The more we are persuaded of our own righteousness, the more God's justice doesn't make sense. The more we are persuaded that we are righteous in ourselves, the more God's justice doesn't make sense. However, when we are at the end of ourselves and we realize that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, then we welcome God's judgment, and we receive God's grace in Jesus Christ, because the tighter the noose, the more desperate we are. That's why so many people get saved at their rock bottom, because there's no other hope but in Jesus, right? Unfortunately, that's the place God allows many of us to go before uh, we, have the, we can see God, right? And I want to tell you, there are some hard cases in the world. We were talking about this in growth groups, some family members who have yet to receive Christ, and and I want to, some years ago, I decided, Lord, whatever you have to do in their life, I don't care what it is that they have to see you, then so be it. So be it, Lord. You know, if it's some hardship that you have to send so they'll see you, God, do it. You know, Lord, send people that they'll listen to. They're, <laughs> you and I both know they're not listening to me, Lord. You know, so send somebody to listen to. Send a situation where they have to look towards the cross. Because it's more important than anything in the world, more than comfort, more than good health, what's most important in this whole thing we call life is a right relationship with God. Do you believe that this morning? That is the most important thing. More than our comfort, our right relationship with God is the most important thing. Because we are recipients of God's grace through Jesus, 
we can proclaim the reality of God's righteousness and his grace to others that they may join the family and be saved from the coming judgment. It's not quite a fire and brimstone message, but there are certainly elements of that in this message. Because I think when we neglect to talk about God's judgment upon the earth, we are, we are cheating a little bit of the story of the gospel, right? Because God came, Jesus came to seek and save that was lo- which was lost. God came to save us from ourselves. This is his solution to the problem of sin. Jesus Christ dying on a cross. He was perfect. He was righteous. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for us. He was that perfect scapegoat, that perfect sacrifice, that perfect blood offering for each and every one of us. And it's through him that by receiving the grace offered through Jesus Christ that righteousness is extended to us, that we are in right standing, as it were, with God, like Noah, who found favor with God. So we also find favor with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We are saved. There is judgment coming, and this should motivate us. This should stir our hearts to pray more than ever before, to get out of our comfort zone and share this gospel that none would perish, but all would come to everlasting life in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.